mindfulness mode. Keeping track of all that they were doing was a full-time job, never mind parenting a, a child with autism. And then having to retell that to every single person, you know, professional that they came in touch with was also a lot of work. Mindful Tribe, I'm really excited to learn from my guest today, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from my guest as well. We're going to be talking about topics like abuse, suicide, anxiety, and depression, but the good thing is about how we can deal with those topics, how we can come out on top. And she has a fascinating company that she put together way back in 2009, and they've just been growing, growing, growing. I have Kat Hofton with us today. Hey, Kat, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. I'm right here with you, Bruce. That's awesome. That's wonderful. Well, I'm going to share a bit about your project. Kat Hofton has always been fascinated by the intersection of technology and psychology. And so, like I said, in 2009, she co-founded IllumaView, and she co-founded that company to provide software systems to researchers and clinicians working in a wide range of populations, including all those areas I talked about, suicide, anxiety, depression, but also substance abuse. And Kat is committed to finding innovative and effective ways to use everyday technology to improve the daily life experience of the millions of people who suffer with mental health issues. So, Let's get into what we're talking about here. But first, what does mindfulness mean to you, Kat? Mm. Yeah, mindfulness has been a daily practice of mine for many, many years. And it actually means, like, as I think about those two words, like mind, I have, as a psychologist, I have so many associations with the word mind and definitions for what that means and the sense of fullness. And typically, mindfulness for me means filling my mind with what it usually isn't filled with, right? So usually it's filled with thoughts and chatter. And when I find myself in a moment of mindfulness, it's filled with everything else that is outside of my mind. So the natural world, the sounds of the birds, the sounds of the the wind, the sensations in my body, the sound of the water in the creek, like everything that's outside of my little tiny human mind that is such a delight to tune into and to remember that is there and that I'm a part of. I think that's the other piece of mindfulness to me is is connection, that sense of being connected to the rest of the world. Well, I think you're very connected because in hearing your TED talk, your Asheville TEDx talk, it's called The Rights of Nature. Wow. I was so wowed by that talk because you talk on there about how you know, doesn't nature have a right to exist just like humans do? Shouldn't a certain river have a right or a certain mountain range or a desert or something like that? It's it's Mm. fascinating because I think it's something that most of us don't really think of. Right. Yes. We're so in our own heads most of the time as, as humans that we start believing that that's the world. It's like the stuff that goes on inside our own heads and that we share with each other. When in fact, we're part of a much, much bigger ecosystem. And so there is a global, now a global movement to really recognize that the rest of the natural world, the more than human world, is not only a living entity, but has the right to exist and to flourish just in the way that we give rights to humans. 
that we're now starting to think about, well, but wait a minute, we're just a little part of this whole ecosystem, right? There's all these others, the, the trees and the rivers and the whales and the little tiny creepy crawlies and all these beings are part of the world and part of what sustains us and keeps us alive. And rights and, and nature we, laws have been passed in even Ecuador and India and mm -hmm. Nepal and Colombia and Sweden. Now, how about the U.S.? I know you, you mentioned on your TED Talk about Lake Erie and how that's mm -hmm. kind of pending with the Toledo, Ohio thing. Right. Are there areas in the U.S. where rights of nature laws have been passed? There are a few. Yeah, there's a couple of tribal nations that have passed rights of nature laws. The Ojibwe actually passed a law that protects wild rice specifically. So just one species of wild rice, which is very precious and sacred to them, now has rights. So you can, there's certain things you can and cannot do with that species. And there are other nations that have passed more blanket rights of nature ordinances in their own jurisdiction. The Lake Erie ones that biggest one that I'm aware of in the United States that is still pending. We still don't know what's going to be the outcome of that case, but it's really a test case for looking at how this is going to float in the United States. As, as you said, it's been all over the world. These laws have been passed. So it's the beginning of like, hopefully there being some movement in this country too. Well, I find it fascinating because it doesn't seem to me that we even acknowledge the rights of animals the way mm. we should be. Mm -hmm. let alone we, the rights of nature. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I mean, we don't recognize the rights of humans the way that we should be, right? <laughs> There's a long yeah, way absolutely. to go here. Absolutely. A long way to go. Yeah. But I think the rights of nature work is so fascinating for me on a number of levels. One is like what we're, we're talking about and mindfulness is expanding our awareness as humans to outside of our own heads, outside of our own human built worlds, right? That we've created to take in the rest of the world that's actually way older than us, has been here way longer, is doing all this work to keep the atmosphere alive and keep the ecosystems and the biosphere going and human beings included. So it's really about expanding our awareness to take that all in and be grateful for that every day that we have access to this world. Right, right. And you are committed to helping people with some of these topics I mentioned earlier, suicide and anxiety and depression. And, and I fear that there's going to be more of an issue with mm -hmm. that because of the pandemic we're going through right now. Tell us what you're doing to help with this. Mm. Yeah, so we've been, for, since 2009, providing software systems to psychologists and behavioral health researchers to help them be able to collect data from their patients and study participants as they go about their daily life, right? So typically in, in these kinds of research projects, uh, you, you only get to talk to your study participant when they show up at the clinic, maybe once a week, once a month, depends on the the type of study. And then you get to do a questionnaire with them, kind of ask them how they're feeling, um, which gives you a very limited view of what's actually really going on with these people. So we provide software that then that it's just a, an app for, from the participant's point of view, it's just an app they download on their phone and then it, it'll alert them multiple times throughout the day and just some quick check-in. How are you doing? What are you feeling? What are you doing? What do you need right now? What would help you feel better? Depends on the research program as to what they ask. But we're able to collect data that then gives the researchers a much more dynamic view of what's happening for that person. So we get to see throughout the day how things are changing, throughout the week how things are changing from them, what types of things trigger them feeling more anxious or more stressed or trigger them feeling more grounded and more present and more mindful. 
And then alongside of that, researchers are able to deliver interventions. So it's not just collecting data and monitoring their participants, but they can also deliver what we call just-in-time interventions, which is where the, the app knows, essentially, the app knows when's the optimal time to send you, whether it's a message or it's a guided meditation or it's a video to watch, whatever the content is, the app knows when's the, when's the best time for that individual. So this is all based on each individual's patterns through the day so that we can try to provide intervention content at the times that it's really crucial for that person. And so is this technology available to people in the mainstream world or do you have to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist to make use of this? How does this work? We have at this point one app that's going to be available commercially to consumers. The rest of it is available to psychologists. Yeah. So you have to be enrolled in some kind of study to be able to, to be part of it because it's really very new. This whole idea of digital therapeutics, right? The idea that you can offer therapeutic um, assistance through a mobile app is very new. In terms of the FDA, it's very new. They've not yet kind of figured out really how to regulate all of that. So right now it's you have to be involved in a software, in a I'm sorry, in a research project. But we do have this one app going that we're starting to put together and will be launched soon. That's an app designed specifically to help first responders in the pandemic with emotional resiliency. So our first responders obviously are on the front lines, not only medically and physically, but also that their mental health is really at risk. And many people have probably seen some of the news reports that we've heard from ER doctors and nurses and and EMTs and, you know, people really on the front lines as we're dealing with this pandemic. And so we've been working with a a group from the University of Utah that have developed uh, a program called MindShield. And they've developed it in collaboration with first responders. And we're going to make that mobile. And that will, using some wearables from from Garmin, be able to detect when people are really reaching a peak of of stress. And then in those moments, and that might not be necessarily the best moment for a first responder, but it it knows when to bring the the content to them. But it, it knows when they're feeling very stressed and can offer certain techniques that they've been trained in to help them regulate themselves and and bring themselves back to to feeling a bit more grounded and and calm. And when do you expect this will be available? This is probably another couple of months out. It's been taken a a little while to get all the pieces together because it's a new venture that just about a month ago, we've created this partnership with University of Utah. So it's going to be a couple more months before that's available. We're in the process of fundraising right now to be able to make it free for first responders around the country. Okay, great. Yeah, well, my wife is a trauma nurse, so she's mm. been looking after COVID patients. And yeah, it can be extremely challenging. There's mm-hmm. just no doubt about that. And I think people who don't know anyone that is working in that capacity, they don't realize what it's like. And it is very, very stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. And right. So the, our first responders are, are receiving the most of this. And everybody, I think, obviously is in a, a state of stress. And over the last couple of months, I mean, the, the uncertainty is really, really challenging for, for people. Yes, it is. So what signs were there when you were a child that you would end up working in this field? <laughs> I don't know that there were any like this was so far I mean this isn't the sort of thing children dream about right <laughs> no it sort of... isn't but sometimes when you go back to childhood and you think about a day in your life yeah. when you were seven years old you might think hey just a minute I did this or I my yeah. certain friend was this way or something like that are there, were there any clues at all 
you know, I, I wonder that myself a lot because it seems like such a strange, so I grew up on a farm um, in the North of England and Southern Scotland. So I was always around animals and that was always like, that was the thing that most excited me was being with the animals and caring for the animals and wanting to make life easier for them. And somewhere along the line, I translated that into people, I guess, and realized that sort of taking care of people and helping make sure that we can all sort of support each other was, was became very important to me. Right. Well, which one of these apps that you've been working on has sort of been the project that has meant the most to you? We started this, as I said, in 2009, and we started building a platform for parents of children with autism. So that was my background. That's how I got my doctorate, was working with families and children with autism. I did that for 15 years and I ended up getting developing a parent training program for parents of children with autism that was play-based and really just a wonderful way to be with families and, and children. And I, I enjoyed it immensely. And leaped from there into software because I really wanted to, I felt like I'd reached the end of like, how many people can I help in a day? Like there's a limit to how many people I can reach in a day. And I saw with software that there was a much bigger scope. I could just reach a lot more families in in one day or one week. So that was the first platform that we built was an online platform. And this was before we were doing apps. This was 2009. was an online platform where parents could keep track of all the different treatments they were using for their kids, all the different symptom changes they were seeing, and be able to share that in a secure, HIPAA-compliant way with their care team, which just took a huge burden off of the parents. Just like Keeping track of all that they were doing was a full-time job, never mind parenting a, a child with autism. And then having to retell that to every single person, you know, professional that they came in touch with was also a lot of work. And so to have a platform where they could go and they could see what they would try and make sense of what are we doing and what's working, what seems to be having an impact on my child was something that at that time just wasn't available. And we were really excited to be able to provide that to parents. So are there any other apps that you've been thinking about creating that can help parents with children with autism? That was the last one that we did with autism because then we started, we just sort of, it blew up and, and we started providing it to a much broader range of, of research. So now we don't actually provide any of the content, we provide the infrastructure. So we partner with researchers who may be working in all sorts of different um, fields. Um, so some of them are doing mindfulness interventions, some are working on anxiety, some are working on suicide, early detection of schizophrenia. Um, so it's gone beyond what my original intent was and in that now we're able to, to impact all these other communities that I hadn't even really thought about um, because we're working with partners who have content in all those areas. And uh, I want to ask about meditation. Is meditation part of your own personal life? Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. I'm 25 years now. I mean, not every day. <laughs> Tell us what meditation <laughs> yeah. looks like for you. Kat. Yeah, it looks well over 25 years. It changes, right? It looks really different depending on kind of what phase I'm in. Sometimes it looks like me sitting on my cushion, breathing, following my breath and really just, you know, just trying to stay with that. Often in the winter, that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. As soon as it starts to get a little bit warm, um, then I'm outside. That's the first thing I get up in the morning and I'm outside and my meditation becomes a walking meditation and a nature-based 
meditation. So really taking in as much as I can that more than human world and opening myself to that. Same, same process, letting go of my thoughts, just letting them go and coming back to what is the bird song, the winds in the, in the trees, the sound of my feet on the ground, the creek flowing by, whatever it is, bringing myself back to the world that I am, I am part of and, and being conscious of that. How do you think it is that nature feeds us so mm-hmm. thoroughly? Well, how does mm-hmm. that work? Because it's not a separate thing, right? Even the word nature is, is so interesting that it, it makes it sound like it's something that's separate from us. And it's not. We are from nature. We are, we are born from the earth, I mean, physically. And uh, it, it's our roots and it, it gives us everything. Um, it's, and we've, we've created this world for ourselves as humans where we are, we're in this mind world all the time or most of the time. And uh, I know for myself and the people that I work with as we can let go of that, let go of the tyranny of the mind and the thinking and really drop into a more body-centered awareness, which has to be then earth-centered awareness because you can't, you can't do the, the, they're not separate, they're the same thing. Um, but then there's this sense of peace and, and nourishment. Yeah, I like the word feeding us, like it's this nourishing sense of I'm part of this. I think we come back to this connection idea, right? That I'm part of this world. I'm not a separate being. I'm not alone. I belong here. I've always belonged here. And there's something I think in our modern culture that's really lacking in giving us that belonging. And I personally always turn to the natural world for that sense of like, I'm here and I'm part of this. Some people say that some of these problems like anxiety, suicide, abuse, depression, really stems back to the fact that we're not connected enough to each other. Do you Mm. think that's true? And do you think there's something we can do about that to become connected with each other more? Mm -hmm. I do. I very much believe that at the root of of many of those disorders um, is connection to each other and connection to the natural world and spirit, however you define that, right? Is that, is that sense of belonging, whether it's through connection to a community of humans or a more than human community, that that's really an essential piece of our humanity that I, that I believe over the last couple of thousand years has been systematically just pushed down and pushed away. and, And we've developed this this whole concept that we're separate beings from each other and that we're separate from the world and that the mind has taken over as our source of wisdom and our our guidance, our our source of guidance. Um, Whereas if we look at many indigenous cultures or many ancient cultures, then there's a much broader recognition of of wisdom and guidance and, and that the mind is just one piece of that. There's the body and this community and this spirit and this connection to the, to the rest of the world, which are as important, if not more important than the mind. So how do animals play a role in your life today? You mentioned how they did when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, like that changes over the years. Um, now animals are uh, just a, a source of delight of, of wildness, I think. So when I go out in the woods and I see a bear turn tail and run away from me or I see some deer hop over or even little squirrels and chipmunks and all the little creatures that I see out there. It's, it's like this reminder of the wildness for me that 
I spend so much of my time with computers, you know, which are very structured and ordered and they do what you tell them. If you put all the things in the right order. Um, but there's something about animals in the wild world that's different from that. And it's for me really nourishing. That is um, a reminder that that's, that's where we came from. We came from a place of, of freedom and where we, we get to follow our hearts and follow our noses and um, explore and be adventurous in a way that we don't often get to do in our professional lives. That's true. And do you have pets? At this point, I don't know. I lost my dog about four years ago and I haven't yet had the heart to, to find another one. But um, there's a few rabbits that come close to my house every day. I've been watching them as they come in and exploring. And there's a falcon that lives in the tree not too far away from me. And there's some, some wild animals that are part of my life. Kat, I always ask a question about bullying because I worked in that field for some time. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to know if you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. And it could be a, a story from your, your professional life or from your childhood or just some kind of story where mindfulness would have made a difference. I don't know that I do. I'm not... I'm trying to think back to my own childhood. I went to a, a boarding school in the north of England with all girls. I don't remember a specific instance of bullying, but I know that I felt very much different, different from all the other girls there for various reasons. And how did you deal with that? Yeah, well, I, yeah, what I went to was the, the ponies, right? So we had, we had horses there. It was part of the activities offered at the school. So every morning, that's where I went. I went to to be with the horses, clean them and muck out their stables and, and be present with them. And, and so as I'm thinking about it, like, as you're asking me that question, I'm thinking about it. That is a type of mindfulness, right? Me going and really yes. being present with the horses and just focusing on feeling them, breathing with them, brushing them was a way to like calm myself and center myself before I stepped into my day. I didn't see it, you know, I'm like talking about I was 10, 11 didn't see it like that at that point. But as I think back on it, that's what was happening and probably gave me the strength to be able to step into the very strange social environment that's a, an all-girls boarding school when you're that age. Well, some people have told me that horses, well, one of the easiest animals to communicate and they just seem mm -hmm. so mindful. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're just so tuned in to human beings. Um, as a, you know, I, I dogs and cats as well. I, I, I get that from them. But yeah, horses have this really gentle, sweet way of just sort of bringing you into their energy field. I find them very calming. And a lot of the worked with horses, with the kids with autism that I worked with, but I know many of the families that I worked with were doing some kind of equine-based therapy and their kids just loved it. They said that as soon as their children would get close to the horses, never mind on top of them, you could see their whole physiology just relax, just sort of drop into this much slower way of being. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just okay. 30 second answers are fine. Here's okay. the first one. Who is one person who has influenced mindfulness in your life? Probably my first meditation teacher, and I honestly don't remember her name, but I remember very clearly like that being my first experience of like, oh, there's something behind all this chatter that's really important and I want to know more about it. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Kat? 
Oh gosh, so good. <laughs> it's helped me be so much more aware of them and so much more aware of like, especially an unpleasant emotion that's brewing. I think I can sense it so much more quickly than I could before that it doesn't just explode out of me, but I'm able to like, oh, hang on, this, this is starting to happen and check in what's happening. What do I need right now? Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Yeah. Breathing is a huge part of it for me. That's an anchor for me that, so I'm sitting on the cushion. Yeah. It's easy to stay with my breath or easy-ish to stay with my breath. And then when I get in front of my computer and on the phone, it's easy to let go of that. And breath is my, that's my bridge, my anchor back to the cushion. That's like, yes, ah, still here, still here, still breathing. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Mm, first one that comes to mind is The Power of Now. Eckhart Tolle. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an incredible book. Yeah. And well, you're all about apps. Are there any apps that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? There are. There's a, a number of different apps. Actually, the one that I use personally is uh, called Muse. Have you heard of that one? It yes, comes with, I have. The, with the headband. Yes, I so have. So it actually that. senses your brain waves and helps you to be able to get into a more relaxed state. Yeah, that's a fascinating tool to be able to use, especially if you haven't done very much meditating. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. And, and for me, it sort of crosses both worlds. You know, I'm getting to do the wearable gadgets and at the same time, be more conscious about my own state of mind. So I, I actually bought the Muse device because I'm interested in how do I, how do we integrate that into the software that we have? And I wanted to play around with it personally, but found it also really helpful. Right. Right. Well, we can learn more about you by going to your website, which is illumaview.com. I-L-U-M-I-V-U.com. That's it. Yeah. Right. Is that the best way for us to learn more about what you do? That's one way. Also, my LinkedIn profile has a lot of information up there and other links to things I do. The TED Talk is linked up there too. So on LinkedIn, is it under Illumaview or is it under your name? It's my name, Kat Horton. Yeah. And that's H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Exactly. Cat Hout. Now, how do you pronounce that? Well, it depends on where you live. Right. (laughs) I pronounce it as Horton, which is how my dad pronounces it. They were from the north of England. Um, But it seems like everywhere else on the planet I go, it has a different pronunciation. So I just I just go with whatever, wherever we are. Right. Well, being from Canada. Yeah, I, I went for Cat Hofton. That, that works. Yeah, as long <laughs> as it works. Well, it's been really great talking with you, Cat, and, and thank you for doing the wonderful work you do in the world to help people with their challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for bringing mindfulness into people's days. You're welcome. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens helps our show. So in the meantime, take what you heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode 